the disciples' journey. The disciples' journey. We want to answer some key, some key questions like, what does it actually look like to be a disciple of Jesus? How, how do we live this life? Uh, at New Beginnings, we recognize that God's Word calls every believer, every believer, to connect people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life. And it's this call of connecting people to Christ that gives our life its purpose and its, and its meaning where we find fulfillment in being a disciple. It's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and being a disciple is the essence of the Christian life. But I think so many believers um, uh, struggle with what it means to be a disciple because we've, we've believed in a way something that I think is untrue, which is we've believed that being a disciple is about how much I do for Jesus, and we never feel like we're doing enough. Amen? Does that connect with anybody? I've, I've, I often feel frustrated in my walk with the Lord. I feel frustrated in my progress in Christ because I believe being a disciple is about how much I do for Jesus, and I never feel like I'm doing enough. And what I hope that we see in the weeks ahead and through this series uh, called The Disciple's Journey is that being a disciple of Jesus is not about what you're doing for Jesus. It is about who, are you, who you are becoming because of Jesus. That's what it's about. Who are you becoming? Who are you be growing up into because of the work Christ has done in you? So if you're a follower of Christ, then in this series you're going to see what it means, uh, you're going to see what Jesus wants you to become. And if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you're just here today because somebody invited you or you're trying to figure out you know, what's going on in your life, but you've, you've never put your faith in Jesus, then what I hope you see this, uh, through this series and today is um, what authentic Christianity is um, and how you can become a disciple of Christ. And this series, The Disciples Journey, is very closely tied to our mission statement here at New Beginnings. We began talking about this mission statement at the beginning of this year. I'm going to put it on the screen, and, and uh, I want you to say it with me. At New Beginnings, we are people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. We, are, we want to be known as a people who are connecting other people to the ever-restoring life of Jesus. Well, where do I do that? Everywhere, where you live, where you work, where you play, wherever you are, you've brought the gospel to that place, and it's on display to see people be restored to Jesus. And so what we want to be at New Beginnings is a, pe a people that exhaust their lives, being connected to Jesus, experiencing life in Him, and then connecting others to the life we found. That is the banner I want flying over this place, that we are busted people who have found hope in Jesus and life in him, and we just want to help other people find that life. That's, that's what I want to be known for, um, to who we are, which really means what we really want is to be a church of disciples who make disciples. All right, you're going to hear us say that a lot in the weeks ahead. Disciple making disciples. That is who we want to be. And so over these next uh, five or six weeks, we're going to look at the five attributes 
of being a disciple of Jesus. And these are attributes, these are qualities that we see modeled in the life of Christ, which means for us, they should become a way of life as we mature in Jesus. This is the aim of Jesus. Listen, the aim of Jesus is for us to become like him and then to replicate his transforming life in others. That's the aim of Jesus, that we would become like him and replicate the life we have found in him in others. Let's think about this idea of uh, replicate, and uh, it got me thinking about college football. Is anybody excited? We're, we're close. We're close. Almost. We're almost here. Uh, as, a, as a lifelong uh, Texas fan, don't boo, please just keep that to yourself. As a lifelong Texas fan, I, I'm preparing my heart for uh, just another season of overpromising and underdelivering. And so it's just where we are. It's hard to be a Texas fan, okay? It's not great all the time is what I'm saying. And uh, this, this feels like a year where we have all this hype and you know what I mean? So um, I'm just going to keep it low. The lower I go, I think the happier uh, I'll be. But the, uh, my, w- one of my best friends in this world is the biggest Alabama fan you've ever met. Now, here's some things about him. Uh, he's never been to Alabama. That's not a joke. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't live there. He didn't go to school there. And somehow, he became the biggest Alabama fan in the world, which means he often worships at the altar of Nick Saban. <laughs> I just one day caught him doing some voodoo in there. It was weird. And so... But he loves Nick Saban, and he and I have talked about this phenomenon that you've seen over the last 13, 14 years of uh, Nick Saban being at Alabama and, and what people have called the Sabanization of college football. I don't know if you've heard that, because here's what you've seen. You've seen so many coaches who have spent time on his staff in one place or another who have gone on to become great coaches at other D1 schools or D2 schools or the NFL. And what you've seen is the replicating of Nick Saban's program in other places. So you've seen all these coaches who spent time with him who were hired somewhere else. And listen, most of them were hired almost exclusively because they, were had, they had leadership under Nick Saban, right? So that's where they learned how to run meetings, uh, strategize, plan, recruit players, raise up leaders, build a program. All of that happened under Nick Saban. And now they've gone to these other places and they've begun to replicate that. And so what you've started to see is what they call the Sabanization of college football. But listen, in that way, we are called to replicate to reproduce, to multiply the transforming work of Jesus in the life of others. And so I want to begin this disciple's journey uh, today by looking at the original invitation from Jesus um, to become disciple. So if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want to give you a little context as to where we are in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, in, in Matthew 3, Jesus was, was baptized. He, he comes up out of the water, and the Heavenly Father says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately it says, The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, where he went into this intense 40 days of fasting and praying and, and being tempted by Satan, and he comes out of that 40 days, and he begins his ministry, and in the early part of chapter 4, we hear him preach his first message, which is a very simple one, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, 
And so now Jesus has begun his earthly ministry, and one of the first things that we see him do is call his first disciples. He calls Peter and Andrew and James and John. And what we see in this call to the disciples that we're going to look at this morning is is not just a, a, a blip on the historical timeline of the ministry of Christ. It's not just like a biography of the disciples. What we're going to see is a pattern in the life of Christ. We're going to see this paradigm that repeats itself over and over again throughout the ministry of Jesus. And listen, it's a pattern, it's a paradigm that hinges on our response to two very simple words. Two words that will simultaneously direct our entire life and at the very same time completely disrupt our lives in the most glorious, happy way possible. And those two words are follow me. Those two words, two very simple words, follow me. And how we respond to these two words And in responding to them, this is what sets our lives in motion as disciples. And and because our response to follow me, it's so important because it's not just how Jesus transforms us, but our response to follow me is how he wants to transform the world through us. And so you see this pattern repeated of follow me and our response to that um, is how our lives as disciples is set in motion. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 18. Verse 18, if you're there, uh, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. true. Amen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. What you see right here is the very first call in Christian history um, to follow Jesus. This is the first time that it's happened here in Matthew 4. And in it, we see the essence of the mission of Jesus and what it truly means to follow him. And so we're going to spend some time in these four verses. And there's four truths that I want you to grab this morning to help us take hold of the reality about what it means to follow Jesus and be his disciple. Here's the first thing I think we see is that Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, why? To become like him. To become. He invites us into a relationship with him to become like him. He said in verse 19, and he says, and he said to them, follow me. This is an invitation that he is extending into a lifelong relationship with himself. And the tense of that, those words, follow me, is called the present imperative. Here's what that means. It's a command that is continual. It's ongoing. Essentially, Jesus is saying, follow me and keep on following me. That's what he's saying. So for us, what do we take with that? We take this reality. Salvation is not just embracing a message about Jesus. It's entering into a relationship with Jesus. 
Right? It's not just saying, I like what people say about Jesus. It's saying, I'm stepping, I'm receiving the invitation, and I'm stepping into a relationship with him. That's what it is. Think about it this way. Think about uh, a marriage. Uh, think about a marriage proposal, right? Uh, men, if you've proposed to your wife, you probably hit a knee, and you said uh, four beautiful words, which were what? Will you marry... God, did you say it? I don't know if you said it. Obviously, some of you froze up there for a minute. Will you, uh, uh, well, I don't know what to do. Right. Will you marry me? Right? That's what you said. Uh, ladies, if he didn't say that, he needs to back up and do it again. Um, will you marry me? Right? We ask, will you marry me? And when we present that question, we're not saying, will you come and exchange some vows and say some words? We're saying, will you come and exchange vows with me for the purpose of spending the rest of your life with me. That's what we're saying. It, it, right? And, and listen to me. The purpose of the call of Jesus is not that we would come and say some words and move on with our lives. But that we would embrace the gospel. That we would put our faith in him and that we would be in relationship with him. And listen, the heartbeat of this relationship is to become like him. It is, you were saved to become like Christ. That's the, that's the heart. That's the purpose. A little bit, of, little bit of cultural kind of backdrop to this time, I think, help, helps give us some understanding. When Jesus says, follow me, this would have been familiar language in his culture and would have been a familiar thing to Peter and James and, and Andrew and John because this was what they called rabbinic speech. This was how a rabbi would speak to disciples, right? Follow me would have been in reference to entering into a relationship with a rabbi uh, for the purpose of becoming a disciple of that rabbi. This is, this, if, if you were a disciple of a rabbi in this time, you were what was known as a Talmud, the Hebrew word for disciple. And the group of disciples who followed a rabbi were called the Talmudim. That's what they were. And they, they followed this rabbi wherever he went. And to follow a rabbi at this time meant total commitment. Well, what does that mean? It means these, young, these men at a very young age would stop living with their family. And they would begin to live around this rabbi and they would go where he went and they would do what he did. And they were taught to think the way he thought. And they approached life the way he approached life. They entered into this full-time relationship with this rabbi. And it wasn't just that they wanted to kind of be near him. It's that they immersed their life into his life. That's, that, that's what happened. Not for the sake of simply knowing about the rabbi, but for the sake of becoming like him in every way, emulating him in every part of their life. That's what it meant to be a Talmud, to be in the Talmudim, to be a disciple of a rabbi. And in this relationship, in this disciple-rabbi relationship, the rabbi was replicating himself. That's what he was doing. He was putting, he was, he was multiplying himself because the aim for the disciple was to become like the rabbi. And so there was this saying that they had. You may have heard it before. It was a saying they had that if a, if a Talmud was a good disciple 
And they, he was walking out the characteristics of his rabbi. They would often say, you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's what they would say. You're covered. What they meant by that was, you're walking so closely with your rabbi that his dust is getting all over you. It was a, it was a deep compliment. You're covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what Jesus is saying to us in these words, follow me, is not merely to hear his words. It's not just to come sing his songs. It's not just to affirm him or admire him and, and remain the same person. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, follow me. This is far more than church attendance. It's far more than a casual association. This is an invitation to have my life completely immersed in his life, to lose my life in him. That's what he means when he says, follow me. To follow him, the way he asks us to follow him means that we're going to have the dust of our rabbi all over us. That's what that means. To think the way he thought, to feel the way he felt, act the way he acted, desire what he desired, value what he valued. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus said, when you, I'm inviting you into relationship with me to become like me. That's the first thing. He invites us as disciples. We've been invited into a relationship. Not to go on and live our lives however we want, but to become like Christ. Here's the next thing. Not only does he invite us into this relationship to become like him, but Jesus equips us to become disciples who make disciples. He equips us. He gives us all that we need to become disciples who make disciples. Look at what he said again in 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will do what is necessary in you to put you on mission. So Jesus gives us a vision of what he wants to accomplish. And I love how he uses the, the metaphor of their vocation, right? Essentially, Jesus is saying, follow me. And I'll equip you to do with humanity what you're doing with fish. This, this invitation to follow, it's an invitation to join him on his mission. And what is Jesus doing when he, when he calls to Peter and James and John and Andrew? What's he doing? He's fishing for men, right? He's calling them on mission. He's inviting them to come and know. And he invites them onto that mission with him. I want you to hear me. Don't miss this. Every believer, every believer, say every believer. Every believer is called to be on the mission of Christ. Not a single one of you were saved to sit and soak. You were saved to be sent and to live on mission and to make disciples. Jesus called them to get on mission with him. David Platt said it this way. He said, every disciple of Jesus exists to make disciples of Jesus. It's why we exist. Here and among every people group on the planet, there are no spectators. We are all born to reproduce. So you have been born again to make disciples. 
Otherwise, why are we still here? Just be a whole, if, if, if the mission of the gospel ended at my salvation, then why didn't I just go home the second I made Jesus the Lord of my life? Because the mission of the gospel started at my salvation. That's when it began. That's when I stepped into the mission of Christ and he put me on a path of seeing other people find the life that I have found. And he equips me for that. Equips me for that. Which means and discipleship isn't biblical if it isn't multiplying. Are you with me? We use a lot of disciple language, but it isn't biblical discipleship if it isn't repeating itself and multiplying into other people's lives. We're to be disciples who make disciples. And here's the beautiful truth. Jesus equips us for this mission. He makes us into disciples who make disciples. So many of you are in the room and you're already telling yourself, I don't know enough about Jesus. I can't tell anybody about Jesus because I don't know enough. I, I, I've been out of church or I just hadn't been, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel confident that I could disciple anyone. And yet I would tell you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have experienced his ever restoring life, then you have been given the message to give that life to someone else which makes you a disciple maker. And it is time for the people of God to put the lie down that says, I got to know more and feel confident. What you have to know is who you are in Jesus, and that's it. Are you with me? But what that means also is if your relationship with Jesus is not causing and creating this desire to reach the lost people and make disciples, then we need to re-examine the relationship. If your relationship with Jesus is not creating a desire, there's no desire. And we got to look at that. Again, I want you to see what Pastor David Platt said. He said, do you desire to reproduce deep down inside? Do you long to see people come to know Christ through your faith? If the answer to that question is not an unhesitating, unapologetic yes, then I encourage you to search your heart. Is Christ in you? Do you believe his word? His word that claims that Christ alone is able to save sinners, that God alone is worthy of worship, and that all who do not receive God's grace in Christ will spend eternity in hell. If these things are not a reality in your life, then no matter what decision you made however many years ago, no matter what church you attended last week, you may not actually be a Christian. For these features are the fruit of followers of Christ. And if you don't desire to reproduce and if you don't long to see people come to know Christ through your life, then I encourage you in the words of 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Is Christ in you? Which means we have to believe the words of Jesus when he said that hell is a real place and most of the people on this planet are going there. 
We have to believe his words when he says in Matthew chapter 7 that the way is easy and the gate is wide. That leads where? To destruction. And many are the people that find it. Many of them are going that way. Too many believers have just pushed away from the reality of hell and eternity separated from God. And Jesus says, that's a real place. And most of the people you know are going there. Is there an urgency to say, if they're going to hell, they're going to leap over my body while I cling at their feet and weep with them to turn and love Jesus and receive him. They're not going without me pleading and begging, give your life to Christ. They will. Nobody I love is getting there without me having shouted for every minute that I know them, receive Jesus. Find life. Do you have that sense, that desire? You know, when I look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, something really important was happening right there. Jesus has his disciples, and he's resurrected, and he's spending his last few moments with them. And they've spent three years with him, right? They've been, they've been in his hip pocket for three years. And now he comes to this moment, and there's a great graduation ceremony. And here's what he said. You've watched me do this for three years. Now you go make disciples. This thing that you have embraced for three years, now you go. And what happens? What's the numerical thing that begins to happen? 12 becomes 72. 72, by the time you get to Acts chapter 1, is 120. By the time you get past Pentecost, 120 became 3,000. Why? Because disciples began to make disciples. And that's, can you, can you even fathom what would happen to our city if New Beginnings got serious about being disciple makers? Can you imagine what would happen in Gilmer and in Upshur County if this place got real that nobody's going to hell on my watch? Nobody. And if they do, they're going to leap over me while I cling to their feet and beg them to turn. We've been equipped to do this because we've been given life in Christ. Do you believe that? That was a very quiet affirmation of do you believe that? So I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to assume you're with me. He invites us into a relationship so that we would become like him, not stay who we were, become like him. He equips us to be disciples who make disciples. So once we're in that relationship, he changes our mission in life. He puts us on a new mission to make disciples. Here's the next thing. He initiates relationship with us. Listen to this. According to his grace and not our goodness. This right here is for somebody this morning. Jesus wants to initiate a relationship with you, not because of your goodness, but because of his grace. Verse 18, it says, While they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, why is it so important that Jesus was the one who initiated the relationship with these guys? Again, 
some cultural context is very helpful here. Um, the goal of every Jewish family, if they had a son, was for that son to become the Talmud of a rabbi. That was kind of the, was kind of the highest. You know, the son, we want our son to become a Talmud, to be a part of a Talmudim and to, to follow, to be accepted by a rabbi. But in that day, what you had to do was you had to find a rabbi that you wanted to follow and then you had to go and present yourself to this rabbi. And if you were good enough and if you were smart enough and came from the right family and if you had enough uh, uh, potential, then he might, he might receive you and, and, and he might accept you. But if you weren't good enough... And, and no rabbi accepted you as his, as his Talmud. You know what you did? You just went back and started working the family business. Well, what were Peter, James, Andrew, and John doing when Jesus found them? What were they doing? Working the family business. You want to know what that means? When they were younger, when they were of age to be presented to a rabbi, no rabbi wanted them. That's what it means. It means they weren't accepted. It means they weren't good enough. Do you see the power in Jesus saying, I see that you were rejected and I choose you. I choose you. I want you. Peter, I see the arrogance. I want you. James and John, I see the pride in your heart that's going to want to elevate you above your other brothers, but I still want you. I want you to come. I, I know you were rejected. I know there wasn't a single rabbi that said yes to you. Not one of them did. All they saw was that you came from poverty, that you were uneducated, narrow-minded, full of bigotry and pride and self-centeredness, not an all-star at all when it comes to religion. I see it, and I choose you. This is Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient for you. He's saying, I'm inviting you into something different. Jesus initiated relationship with them because of his grace, not their goodness. Which is why when he gets to John 15, he looks at these same disciples and he says, Hey, look up. I want you to know something. You didn't choose me. <laughs> I chose you. I, I extended grace to you. Why? So that you would go and bear fruit. And I want you to hear me say, we are in the same condition as these disciples. Dead in our sin. Rebels at heart, defiant to God's will, unworthy of his love, and yet the glorious beauty of the gospel is that by his grace, he still chooses us. The gospel of grace, this is the heart of what it means to belong. If you are not a believer in Christ, if you're not sure that you belong to him, listen to me. The heart of relationship with Jesus is this. God sees all that you really are and by grace chooses you. That's the heart of it. 
It's the good news that we were, we're sinners, unworthy of his love, unable by our own power to forgive ourselves, and let, yet he loves us, offered himself for our sin, has resurrected from the grave so that through faith in him and responding to the invitation to follow me, we can be made new, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and by his power live on his mission. I don't know everybody's story, but somebody needs to hear this morning that no one, no one is so far gone that they are out of the reach of God's grace. Matt, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know what I've, what I've, got. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I'm doing right now. I know. I know that Jesus saw Peter for the arrogant, prideful man he really was, and he still went, come on. And if you are not a believer, I want you to hear me. You are not disqualified from the love of God because you could never do anything to earn it. It is freely given to you. You are not so far gone that you are outside the reach of God's grace. Here's the next thing. You are also not so good that you don't need it. Nobody has arrived. Are you with me? You don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to get yourself clean. You don't have to get yourself fixed up. Because you can't be right enough, clean enough, or fixed enough. All you have to do is simply do what the disciples did, which is receive the invitation of grace to follow Jesus and go, I want that. And lose your life to him. Gosh, I have prayed for you today. If you don't know that you're a believer, I have prayed for you that today you would go, Maybe his grace is enough. Maybe. Maybe it is. He invites us into the relationship, equips us to make disciples. He initiates the relationship, has nothing to do with how good we are and everything to do with how gracious he is. Here's the last thing Jesus requires us to surrender everything and follow him, he requires us to surrender everything. And follow him. This is what he says in 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. These men immediately, with this sense of urgency, they abandoned everything that they were living for and they followed Jesus. The entire trajectory of their life changed in this moment. Everything that was important five minutes ago, not important anymore. I'm following Christ. My whole life is set. They left it all. And the rest of their life, they followed him and they fished for men until the day they died. Everything changed. I read a commentary this week that says this. The early disciples left behind everything that was familiar and natural for them. They exchanged comfort for uncertainty. 
They did not know where they would be going. They only knew who they would be with. <laughs> all followers of Christ must respond to the same call today. We may not always know all the details about where Christ is leading us, but we do know who we're following. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to surrender all of who you are to all of who he is. All of it. To turn from everything else you're living for and begin the journey of following and pursuing Christ. And every time you see Jesus extend this invitation, every time he invites, it's, it always comes with the demand that they would surrender all. In Luke chapter 9, Verse 23, Jesus said these words, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if you want to be my disciple, here it is. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever decides, I'm going to keep living the way, I'm going to like Jesus, but I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be all right. I kind of want to roll my own way. Jesus says, Whoever wants to save his life that way is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, immerses himself in me, that man will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If it all goes exactly like you thought it would. And you lose your soul. Full surrender. Same chapter, just a few verses later, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying to him? You sure you want to come do this? It's going to cost you everything. It may not be comfortable, and it may not be easy. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you hear the surrender all nature of that? You know what Jesus never did? Jesus never softened the demand of discipleship, ever. Which is why there were moments all along his ministry that people who said they loved Jesus would just walk away because at some point they couldn't cross the threshold of the demand to follow Christ. Just going, I can't, I can't do that. He requires this full surrender. And listen, I'm not saying that as followers of Jesus that we all need to go quit our jobs and give away everything we own and leave our families. I'm not saying that. But the New Testament makes it clear that if you are a follower of Jesus, comfort and certainty in this world are no longer your concerns. That's what he's saying. Your career your family, 
It now revolves around whatever Jesus is calling you to do and whatever he wants to do in your life to make disciples, which meaning, which means disciples have come to the place where they go, what I own is not mine. My possessions are not my own. A position is not my priority and certainty is not measured in my security. I just surrender all to Jesus. I'm going to hide my life in him. So my question is this, are you a follower of Jesus? Is Christ in you? Is he in you? So many people claim to have made a decision and they they prayed a prayer and they signed a card and they walked an aisle and they said, I've accepted Jesus in my heart, but their lives never changed and their lives don't show it. There's so many people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but their lives have not been transformed and they've never met Jesus because when you do, everything changes. Jesus has never entered a space and left the space unchanged. And you go, but man, there was these words I said and I walked down and I I talked to a preacher and I stood up in front of the whole church and I've even been baptized. Okay, has your life changed? Are you new? Have you been born again? Or if you were honest, if you look at that moment, you would go, I've spent most of my life hoping that that was what happened, but my life never really changed. So what do we do with this? Somebody in this room needs to just go, I'm, I'm ready. I am ready. My, I'm ready for my life to change. That's what I want. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of not knowing. I'm tired of being unsure. I'm tired of pretending when I get to church like, I, like I'm just as walking with Jesus like I think everybody else. I'm tired of the exhaustion of being a fraud. I'm sick of it. And I'm just ready to, to have the life that he promises That's all I want. I'm tired of battling the same sin with no spiritual victory in my life. So I'm going to invite you just to bow. And I'm going to ask everybody in this room, just head bowed, eyes closed. And no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter what you do, I want all of us to, to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Is Christ in you? And this morning, if you are in this room, and your honest, honest answer, your gut level honest answer, is I, I, my life has never been changed by Jesus. If that's you, and you know you want him to change your life, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to be very courageous, very bold. You know if he's pulling your heart right now, if that's you right now, would you just look up and stand up and just look at me for a moment, if that's you. Today is the day. I'm done playing this game. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, just stand up right where you are and look at me.
Everybody in this room then is saying, my relationship with Jesus is rock solid and I know I'm a born again believer. I'm, I'm convinced there's someone in this room that is not there. You just couldn't figure out how to stand up. So in a minute, we're all going to stand up. And when we do, I'm still going to ask you to be bold and courageous and to step out and come take one of these ministers or pastors by the hand and just say, I need to be saved. I need to make Jesus Lord today. For the rest of you, you have been called to be on mission, to be a disciple-making disciple, which means this. Some of you just need to repent and re-engage in the mission of God in your life. Father, I thank you for loving us and for the, the power of your word. God, I really, I'm asking that in Jesus' name you would move, that you would save, that you would cause us to give you all of our life. Holy Spirit, move in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, you step out. If you need to repent, be prayed for, you come right now.